We do solemnly swear or affirm that we will faithfully execute the office of podcast hosting and will do our best to to our abilities to preserve, protect, and defend everything you have come to expect of the show that is Convince Me. Welcome in, everybody. It is episode 40, uh, episode 40 of the Convince Me Show. I am Andy Rutherford, joined as always by Mr. Brian Bennett, Mr. Casey Elrod. Gentlemen, how goes it? How many times you practice that? Um, zero. <laughs> it's impressive. I never give you props, but that was impressive. I've got it pulled up on my phone. Ah, I felt like I memorized it. The truth yeah. comes out. Uh, that's why I would never be a good politician, uh, because I'm honest. But anyway, Bennett, how are you? Doing well, sir. I'm doing well. How goes it today? It's uh, kind of sucks. I'm a little under the weather, but that's not gonna, unlike Elrod. I will not skip a podcast because I don't feel well. Um, so here we are for episode 40 of Convince Me. Don't feel bad for me, though, folks. It's just a little sinus issue. I don't have the COVID. I know this for a fact. I got my brain stabbed yesterday. They said I was good. So uh, just it's a really bad sinus system, but I'm here for you guys. We are here for you guys, just like we are every single week. This week, we're here on time again, uh, which is a positive. Um, and we will start off, as always, with our weekly shield. Make sure you guys are following us on all of the socials. Bennett's graphic is back. Uh, you can find us. Our most active page is over at facebook.com slash convince me show. Uh, every Tuesday night over there, you're going to get a preview of every week's show uh, in video format. So be sure you're following us over there. You can also find us on Twitter at Convince Me Show. Occasionally, we let you guys pick the show topics. We'll put those in poll form, and those polls can be found over on Twitter. You can also find us on Instagram. Check out Bennett's fantastic artwork that he does for this show uh we're convince me show there uh on instagram and then as always every episode every week in full video format can be found on our youtube page tinyurl.com slash convince me show and of course the show drops every wednesday wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts uh, and us. And uh, if we're not where you listen to your favorite podcast, let us know and we will do our best to get there. Uh, so now that that is out of the way, gentlemen, it's, it's a big week in our country. And we have one rule on this show. We don't go political. But tonight we're going political without going political. Uh, there's a lot of talk in the world right now that that. There's an old president that's out. There's a new president that's in. President this, president that. Love this president. Hate that president. We're not getting into any of that. But what we're getting into tonight is some of our favorite presidents that we've seen that have not actually served. Tonight we are debating who is the best 
president from TV or film? It is a who is the best fictional president debate. Myself will be arguing for Mr. Francis Underwood, House of Cards. Bennett will be representing the great Bill Pullman's character on Independence Day. And there's a lot of guys we left off this list. Morgan Freeman could be in this debate. Um, Harrison Ford could be in this debate. But we picked these two. Deal with it. Elrod, you, you told us before the show, this might be a little tricky one for you to mediate for us. I, I know it. I mean, this, this is like choosing between your children. Uh, which one do you like better? Uh, some people might. Some people, most people don't. Um, my fa- my second all-time favorite movie is Independence Day, and my favorite all-time television show is House of Cards. So this one's this one's tugging at the heartstrings, as you might say. It's tugging. Yeah. Sure. Uh, is your favorite movie Forrest Gump? Third. Mm. Twister's number one. We gotta have a debate about Twister on that's for a later show. So in order, to, I thought about this, in order to determine who goes first tonight, we're going to have a Kevin Spacey themed question. Now he's been in the news over the last year for some transgressions that he had, but we're going to talk about, or the question is going to feature him at the box office. Uh, Kevin Spacey has been listed as a supporting actor the majority of his career rather than a lead man. He's been credited with 11 movies where he was a uh, primary supporting actor. So if you got a pen and paper, get it. Because my question is, closest to the number, what is Kevin Spacey's worldwide box office total for his roles in supporting in a supporting role? What is that number for over 11 movies? Not as it's it's a big number, but it's not as high as you think. Maybe that. Yeah, I think I just led y'all astray. Just just put a number down. Ready. Let's All right. Let's see what you got. We got three thirty-seven. 337 million and 188 million. Yeah, I did leave y'all astray because this number is right at 1.7 billion. So I did leave y'all astray a little bit. It's an actual number is 1,610,076,940. So Bennett, you are the closest. Would you want to go first or second tonight? My question is um, before I answer that, um, how is one billion a small number? Well, if you're comparing this movie to Marvel movies, maybe that's what I should have said. But you don't what know is anything real- about Marvel movies? You proved that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not talk about that. That that brings back bad memories. <sighs> bad memories. First or second, Bennett? I'll go first. All right. Okay, it's off here. So, Bennett, tell me why President Thomas J. Whitmore is superior to Francis Underwood. You know, when you think of the word president and you try to describe in one word the definition of president, I would think of a leader. Webster's Dictionary says it's a powerful person who controls or influences what other people do 
a person who leads a group, organization, country, et cetera. But they could have saved some time and just condensed that down to say Thomas J. Whitworth, Whitmore, Whitworth, or Whitworth maybe, but Whitmore. But under his command, he saved not only our great nation, but also all of humanity against a force of evil, the likes of which that mankind had never really seen before. And what looked like certain doom for Earth, he delivers a memorable speech that rivals, or you could say exceeded the Gettysburg Address. And if that wasn't enough to propel him to the number one spot for a fictional president debate, he and his team devise, devise and execute a plan to save the world from a highly advanced alien life form. You want to talk about ultimate hero. That's the guy that I want leading my country. And I believe that he is the greatest fictional president ever. And tonight I'm going to lay out some evidence that shows why Thomas J. Whitmore is a worthy candidate for the title. All right. So, Rut, if Thomas J. Whitmore is a hero, your client, Francis J. Underwood from the great city of Gaffney, you're probably going to go the opposite way with, with Mr. Underwood, or maybe you don't. Here, here's my thing. <clears throat> what do we like best about movies and, and television shows? We like relatability. We like the storytelling, but a lot of times those that really connect with people are the things that are believable, that people can see themselves in. Now, if we were ever under attack by aliens, sure, I would like a, a Thomas J. Whitmore to lead this country and, I dare say, the world in that situation. But here's the thing. You want to talk about leader. You want to talk about, you know, just stand up rally the troops, somebody everybody loves, that's great. That's fantastic. That's not realistic. That's fairy tales. That's rainbows. That's lollipops. That's the movies. But if you want a real-life look of what a president probably really is like, what life in Washington probably really is like, and somebody that does it better than anybody else, well, that is Francis J. Underwood, Frank Underwood, president of these United States, 46th president of these United States, judging by the show, pride of son of a, of a peach farmer from Gaffney, South Carolina. He exemplifies what Washington probably actually is like today and really shows you what it is and really gives you that inside look to what life is like on Capitol Hill. And he does it with his maneuvering and his scheming and his plotting better than anybody else. That's how he went from a state senator of South Carolina all the way up to the presidency without ever being elected because he did it better than anybody else. That's why Francis J. Frank Underwood is the best fictional president. Bonus points for the accent. A little Jimmy Carter in there. 
a little bit of Georgia in there. See, my South Carolina sounds like my Georgia. And <laughs> for those of you that might be listening that aren't from the South, it's not all the same dialect. When you cross state lines in any direction from where we are, this what I'm speaking to you in is sinusy nasally Tennessean. But when we go to the east in North Carolina, it sounds different. When we go south to Georgia, it sounds different. When we go west to Arkansas, it sounds different. Um, so, yeah, my South Carolina, my Georgia are similar, but they're similar. They, they share a border there. So, so what? You know what? You could argue that there's several dialects just here in Tennessee, you know. That's true. The middle Tennessee dialects. The Eastern Tennessee dialect. No balls. <laughs> so. Right. I want, I want to keep it with you. Uh, tell yeah. me about, you kind of mentioned this in your opening, but tell me about um, how Francis J. Underwood ascended to, to D.C. and eventually the presidency. Well, right. I will tell you that. And I will tell you that right after we take this break, uh, if you're with us on Facebook, this is where it ends from you. Come hear us talk about more Southern dialects. Probably not. But more about Thomas J. Whitmore, Francis Underwood. Make sure you're tuning in uh, to the podcast, to YouTube, to find those things out. If you're with us right now on the podcast or on YouTube, we will be right back. And we are back. Mr. Elrod, if you don't mind, repeat your question that you just asked me. <laughs> I will. Right. We'll keep it with you. Tell me about Francis J. Underwood's ascension from the South Carolina state government and how he got to the White House. Sure. Um, give me just a second to get back here in my notes. If I was, you know, well into things, I would have done this before we even got there. But I'm going to start with this. Uh, Francis J. Underwood uh, born in Gaffney, South Carolina, to a to to a peach farmer there. Um, went graduated high school and went to the Sentinel uh, in South Carolina, which is a military school. Basically, it's the Citadel, except they couldn't call it the Citadel, uh, so they called it the Sentinel. Uh, supposedly, there's some looking into it that uh, he. Didn't have great grades there while he was at the Sentinel, but somehow even without great grades, because this is a fictional world, he still got into Harvard Law. Um, went to Harvard Law, graduated from Harvard Law School, got his uh, JD there, and then came back home to Gaffney, and he didn't practice law. He went straight into politics. Uh, he started off in the South Carolina State Senate, where he was elected at age 25, uh, to the state legislature there uh, in South Carolina and then served two terms there and then decided to run uh, for the House of Representatives as representative of the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina, uh, where at the age of 29, he was uh, elected there. Um, and he went on to win 11 consecutive elections there um, as the House Representative. He eventually was elected whip. Uh, for the Democratic Party, um, where he served from 2005 till 2013. And then, as we know, there's a new president coming in. He was promised Secretary of State, and then he 
kind of got that taken out from under him. He didn't get Secretary of State. And since I'm limited on time and I don't want to give a lot of spoilers, um, he went above and beyond to get a man who uh, to run for president of Pennsylvania. And then that man died of an apparent suicide. Mm -hmm. And he convinced the then vice president-elect to step down as vice president to go run for governor of Pennsylvania since with the death of Mr. Russo, that was wide open. So that man steps down to run for governor of Pennsylvania. And lo and behold, Mr. Underwood doesn't become secretary of state. He becomes vice president of the United (laughs) States. And then as things would happen mysteriously, uh, the current president comes under fire looking at a, a impending impeachment and steps down. And when he steps down, of course, we know in the United States, if a president steps down, vice president becomes president of the United States. And that is how Francis J. Underwood became president of these United States of America. You know, in the very first episode of House of Cards, Frank Underwood's at the party for president-elect Walker he talks about how uh, Walker got 60-something percent of the vote. I don't think we're ever going to see that again in this country. One guy gets 60-something percent of the vote. All right. I will go with you, Bennett. Uh, tell me about Thomas J. Whitmore's ascension to the White House. You probably don't have as much source information like we do for Francis Underwood, do we? Yeah, I was about to say I'm going to go a whole lot shorter than what Rutt went there. Um but what we do know is that um, he was a war hero. Um, he was an F-16 uh, fighter pilot in the United States Air Force, and he was a Gulf War veteran. And um, after he completed his service, he, uh, he kind of took an interest in politics. And uh, speaking of politics, he was, uh, he was an accomplished uh, politician after, um, after his time in the military, um, he was a local boy. He uh, he was elected to Tennessee's second congressional district, and uh, that's a position that he would hold for uh, for two terms. And um, he eventually was elected forty second president. That would be nineteen ninety two, and uh, he he began his first term in uh, January of ninety three, and. Uh, Mainly, he got this because because of his war experience and uh, as well as his his youth. He gave a lot of people hope because of his his youth that he had, and uh, he served as president until two thousand and one. We also know that uh, that he was widowed. Um, his wife Marilyn Whitmore um, was deceased during the during the war that we'll get into a little bit later on. And he also had one daughter named Patricia. And uh, lastly, the other thing that that we know about him is that he was a major advocate for the Earth Space Defense Initiative, which basically, if you're not um, if you're not aware, it's an international program that serves as Earth's early warning system and United Global Defense Force against future extraterrestrial threats. And that's what we know about Mr. Whitmore. You know, as I said earlier, this movie's my second favorite movie of all time. I did not know that Thomas J. Whitmore was from Tennessee. Did not know that. So 
already learning stuff on the show. How about that? Here we go. More you know. All right, uh, but tell me about some of the strengths that Mr. Whitmore had while he was president. Um, probably going to talk about his war record and his leadership. We one of the strengths that we know is for sure he was a superb pilot, um, both before and during his presidency. Um, before which he was, like I said, a F-16 fighter pilot in the Gulf War, and uh. I'll get into this a little bit later on, but even during his presidency, he was also a uh, a very skilled um, pilot. Um, he uh, he also has extensive combat experience, and uh, this kind of goes hand in hand with with the pilot skills I just talked about that he had during his time in the Air Force. Another thing that's one of his strengths would be he's an excellent excellent public speaker. Uh, the speech that he delivers has uh, right before uh, mankind wages war on the extraterrestrials, aliens, whatever you want to call them. That speech that he gives rivals that of William Wallace and Braveheart. It's that good of a speech. Mm-hmm. Another thing, his, his leadership abilities in a time of crisis. You know, they always say war is hell. It's full of tension, uncertainty, and fear. Uh, and Earth had never really seen an enemy like this before. There was a lot of uncertainty and fear and tension. But under his leadership, he led humanity through unprecedented times. He, he volunteers to lead a group of jet fighters in an airstrike attack on mothership, which results in them defeating the aliens and their spacecrafts. And uh, another one is... This is where it gets kind of kind of out there. It's kind of fictional. Is his ability to uh, telepathically see the intentions of the aliens? Um, kind of little give a little bit of back backstory behind this. Um, when they were at Area Fifty One, he came face to face with this alien that's being held captive here at Area Fifty One, and he he attempts to make peace with the alien, but was uh, he was rejected. The alien wasn't having none of it. He then demanded to know. Um, we know what they want from Earth. What do you want from our people? And uh, the alien kind of launches this uh, psychic attack against him. And as a as kind of a side effect from this, he's able to uh, to see the the creatures uh, kind of inside his brain and kind of pick it and learn that the aliens were kind of like locusts. You know, they come, they attack a planet. They uh, consume it of its natural resources and annihilate everything, and then they move on. So had this not happened and he not been able to see what was coming down the pipe, there may have been a very different outcome for Earth had he not seen this. So that's just a few of the strengths of uh, President Whitmore there. Yeah, one of the scenes that I remember is during the Area 51, and he's – he, he's connected with the alien and he says, what is it you have us to do? And the alien just looks at him and goes, da, da. It's creepy. Well, scary. It is scary. Very scary. Right. Tell me about some of Francis J. Underwood's strengths as president of the United States. Well, I think one of the big strengths that he has is, uh, something we don't see much in the presidency anymore that used to kind of be a big thing in this country, but 
It's that charm when he talks to people. It's that southern charm. Just a, the son of a peach farmer from Gaffney, South Carolina. You know, he's, he, he has that approachability in his voice. Now, it might not always be true, but it seems that way uh, in the way he uh, he speaks to people and the way he he is out and about with his constituents, which gives him a relatability factor to those constituents, that charm, that, that Jimmy Carter-like charm uh, that he has. And I think another strength that he has is you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Um, now, his wife, Claire Underwood, they didn't always see the eye to eye, and they wouldn't necessarily be what, what you would think of when you think of a husband and wife. Uh, it was really more of a business partner uh, type relationship, political. Um, but, of course, she's a strong female presence, and when she's in his corner, seems to be when things are going the best. Of course, his wife, played by fantastic, fantastic actress by the name of Robin Wright. Bennett, what else would I have seen Robin Wright in? I want to say not the Ninja Turtles. Not the Ninja Turtles. She your favorite got, movie. Your favorite movie. I, know. I don't want to give him the satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> well, she resembles, she looks an awful lot like what Jenny, if Jenny hadn't grown up in Greenbow, Alabama and experienced the 60s and had grown up to marry a uh, representative from South Carolina, that's what she would look like. Uh, but she's got her, he's got Doug Stamper who is his right-hand man, and if we all had someone as loyal and as willing to do our bidding as Doug Stamper, we would all be living a much better life right yes. now. That's all we could ever ask for is a friend that loyal as Doug Stamper was. So he surrounded himself with good people, uh, and honestly, he had a strength that most great politicians have today, and that is the almighty spin to be able to spin a story, to be able to spin something to the way you want it to go. He, he honed this skill as the majority whip of the house. He was able to get both Republicans and Democrats alike to, to vote how he wanted them to vote, uh, to make something seem not as it actually seemed, but what he wanted you to think was actually going on. Uh, he was very good at having you see his side of things Granted, there were probably dire consequences for you if you didn't, but he was very good at having you see his side of things uh, when it came to that. And just the charm, the right people around him. Um, he knew how to get things done, and he did. Literally by hook or by crook. Yeah. Mostly by crook. <laughs> Fair. Well, you, you kind of hit on that, right? Um, of course, he had some strengths, but he, uh, Francis Underwood had some weaknesses too. I don't think we can shy away from that. So tell me Underwood's weaknesses. Well, he had some personal vices. Are you talking about his love of playing video games and secretly smoking cigarettes? Because he fought those things. Those were his personal vices that he used to get away, but um, once he became vice president, they kind of shut down his uh, video game playing, which he was not happy about. Um, but Frank Underwood has often been described with words like conniving, Machiavellian, 
sociopathic, a symbol of political corruption. Um, when you look at things like that to describe someone, I guess you could probably say those were a weakness, although he used them to build up quite a bit of power and strength. So I guess it's just however you interpret that. Um, throughout the show of House of Cards, he manipulates and destroys people, um, friend or foe, uh, if it needed to be done. You know, he, he did some things that we probably would not want a president to do, um, committing murder, having people murdered, those sorts of things, um, blackballing people, blackmailing people, critically injuring a member of his cabinet to prevent her from testifying against him. Uh, you know, those sorts of things are probably something that some people might pull up as a weakness, but his personal weaknesses and his vices were, were video games and cigarettes. He, he had a hard time getting away from those. You know, most series, especially on Netflix, tries to start out with a bang, like Ozark. That first, who can for, forget the first episode of season one of Ozark, all the crap that happens in that first episode. Do you remember right the very first episode of House of Cards, the very first scene of what happens? Yes, that almost kills, made me stop watching the entire series immediately, yes. He kills a dog. He, a dog is hit, or I think he was hit by a car outside his house. And he kills the dog with his bare hands. He breaks his neck. And you can hear the dog. And it, it's like, holy crap. If this is how this is going to start off. This is pretty crazy. So, Here, Personal thing of mine. I don't do movies. I don't do TV shows. I don't do anything where there's harming of dogs. I'm not a huge PETA animal rights person. But I do love dogs. And I don't like movies that put dogs in bad positions. And Mr. Elrod and another friend of the show told me, don't stop watching after the first scene because they know how I am. And I almost stopped watching after the first scene. Had I not been given that heads up, I may never finish the show. And then House of Cards features a lot of uh, <coughs> sides. Uh, later on, Clara does these in her season, but he talks about how pointless suffering that's that's his first soliloquy uh, to the audience where he talks about pointless suffering. So, Bennett, enough talk about that. Give me some weaknesses for President Whitmore. Yeah, there was two glaring witnesses or weaknesses that I found about uh, President Whitmore. The first one would be um, the politics and the early part of his uh, presidential career, um, kind of during his uh, first years in the office, he tried to introduce, you know, these major um, legislative initiatives, you know, to reform all this stuff from the legal system to the healthcare to the environment, all the stuff that he wanted to do. And um, kind of against the advice of some of his uh, uh, staff team advisors, whatever you want to say, um, he spent, most of his time and energy trying to get these bills passed and uh, that kind of got him bogged down really and um, kind of forced him to kind of make some favors with some policymakers to kind of get his uh, uh, policies achieved and as a result you know the public just hated him they openly attacked him for his uh, meek outlook and his inexperience in the politics mm. 
and you know that prestige and that popularity that he had when he was uh, voted in as president back in uh, 92 93 that that was out the door that plummeted so it wasn't looking too good for him with the approval rating of the of the public um, number two was how greatly he underestimated the aliens at first um, when attempting to establish communication with the uh, the city destroyer that was kind of overwatching in there uh, he was warned you know that these aliens have have come here with bad intentions you know they're not trying to be friendly and uh, he didn't really listen to them but those uh those warnings that he got was a uh, Definitely confirmed when the uh, city destroyer pretty much, you know, blew up and vaporized all these uh, landmark buildings and stuff. And then he immediately issued a large scale evacuation um, to these targeted cities. But, you know, it was it was too late for all that. You know, people were scampering. It's, it was already too late. You know, they, they started destroying all these cities, you know, killing millions of people. And uh, him and his daughter narrowly escaped, you know, as they get on Air Force One there as everything's going awry. Um, the aftermath of all this greatly affected memoir. <laughs> and uh, he really came to, you know, lament his uh, indecision to prepare the people for uh, the hostility of these aliens, you know. So th that, the underestimating and the... Uh, kind of the shortcomings he had in his uh, political career at the first were like two huge uh, weaknesses that I saw. And you see it kind of, he's a weak leader when he, when it starts off, when the when aliens arrive, he says, well, I think we need to go down to DEFCON, whatever. And his defense secretary says, no, we're doing this. Basically he, whatever he said, wasn't going to matter. His secretary of defense tried to basically call the shots because he was kind of a weak leader at that point. I'd say one thing too about about um, whenever everything starts getting blown. When you watch it back, like in '96, you know I'm nine or ten years old, and, you know, and you know these buildings get blown blown up, and I think uh, the White House gets vaporized, whatever. And back then you're like, whoa, you know, that's a big explosion. But now when you're much older, that hits a whole lot different now than it did back then. You know, it's very it's very very weird to watch you know, these alien crash just blowing up all these landmarks, not just, you know, in America too, you know, if you think about it, it's a very bizarre movie to go back and watch uh, when you're much older now. Bennett, I'll keep this with you. Tell me, President Whitmore, is he a believable character to be a president of the United States in real life? Is it believable? You know, the the first thing you think of is, you know, the alien attack. And, of course, that's kind of hard to wrap your head around because that hasn't never happened. You know, if you're a believer of aliens or if you're not, you know, maybe that's a possibility one day, but it hasn't happened. So it's kind of hard for people to wrap their minds around that as being a possibility. But there was a couple of things that I got out of the movie that would definitely make him to me, a believable character. Number one was his military experience. We know from the movie that he was an F-16 fighter pilot in the Gulf War. And um, he has that military background. Well, he's in good company because there have been 26 presidents 
that have served in the military. Some of the greatest presidents of all time have a military background. So for Whitmore to pursue a political career after serving in the Air, after serving in the Air Force does seem pretty normal, you know, just following the footsteps of some other great presidents we had. Number two that makes him a very real believable character is the struggles that he had in the office. You know, he introduced the initiatives to reform a slew of things in the legal health care system, but didn't get a whole lot of support. And the public becomes really displeased by him, like I said, just a minute ago and his weaknesses. We know from the movie that his approval rating drops below 40%. You know, his assistant's like, oh, you've, it's your approval ratings dropped before, dropped below 40%. But when you think of that, about dropping before below 40%, 11 of the past 14 presidents have had their approval ratings drop below 40% at some point during their presidency. His, uh, his 40% approval rating just shows that like all the other presidents dating all the way back to 1937 in the eyes of the, in the eyes of the public, you know, he's not perfect. There's times that people are going to approve what he does. And there's times that he does stuff that people aren't going to approve what he does. So to me, that makes him very, believable character yeah all righty right <laughs> this is probably gonna be an easier question for you because frank underwood possesses a lot of qualities a lot of people in washington have and a lot of her former presidents have had uh so tell me is frank underwood a believable character in your opinion if the last decade or so of politics in this country especially in the social media age where there's we see a lot of things and hear a lot of things that we didn't used to see in here before if the last decade of that has shown us anything it is that frank underwood is the most believable president of anybody in any movie any tv show maybe even real life he is the most believable person with, with the back, <clears throat> the backdoor scheming, the backdoor deals, the the threats, the blackmailing to get his way, um, the threats of violence, the instances of violence. Um, if anything, the last few years has shown us with the way a lot of politicians are on both sides of the aisle and the extents they will go to, to get their way. If that has shown us anything, it has shown us that Francis J. Underwood is the most believable presidential character ever in history of TV or film. I think that's, you know what hurt House of Cards other than Kevin Spacey's transgressions, real life. Real life, the past year has been stranger than the last couple of seasons of House of Cards. Yeah, that's crazy, but it's also very true. <laughs> so we're going to finish up, right? We'll, we'll stay here with you. You you just talked about how he has got some believable characteristics, but tell me, who, what actual president that we have had can you compare Frank Underwood to? Is there anybody? that you can compare him to? You know, when, when I think about this question, I, I look at several things. I look at 
our current president, and I'm not going to go there because we're not going to talk politics. I'm not going to alienate part of our fan base, good or bad. Um, not going there. But when you look back at, you know, the way he presents himself to his constituents, that charm I talked about earlier might make you think of, of a Jimmy Carter or, or a Bill Clinton, that, that Southern charm that people just like. And then you think of Bill Clinton and you think of Bill Clinton's transgressions and the things, and you might think of that, but Bill Clinton's transgressions, didn't seem very politically motivated a lot of times. They seemed more personal, self-satisfying motivated. Um, so when we look at all that, I think if you can compare him to anyone, I think the obvious answer here is Richard Nixon. Um, when you look at somebody who found themselves as president, wanted to do everything they could to stay president, and got caught with their attempts to sabotage the other side. Um, the Watergate scandal sounds like something that would have come out of House of Cards, except it probably would not have been caught by if Frank Underwood and his people Doug Stamper would not have got caught in that act. So in that case, maybe he's better than Richard Nixon. Um, but you could argue that Richard Nixon would have got away from it if there wasn't a certain individual staying at the Watergate Hotel that night. Bennett, who who was the one that ratted out the Watergate scandal? Okay, I'll bite this time. It's Forrest, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. And if Forrest Gump had not been retired to Greenbow, Alabama with Little Forest by the time Frank Underwood was president, maybe Forrest Gump would have caught him in some of these things. Uh, so I think the only obvious comparison there would have to be Tricky Dick. That was who I was going to go with as well. So you hit no. it around the head. The whole, the whole Watergate scandal could have been avoided if they wouldn't have used such bright flashlights. That's it. Because those lights was uh, keeping Forrest awake. <laughs> so he called it in. <laughs> That's right. Bennett, what actual president that we've had can you compare uh, Whitmore to? I'm kind of, not really, but I'm kind of cheating a little bit on this. I could not narrow it down to just one. So I picked three that I felt he shared some similarities with. Of course, you know, we got to keep in mind this is a fictional president. Not, not to be compared to these actual presidents, but in the sense of the question, these are the three I came up with. First, Abraham Lincoln, obviously because of both of their, their uh, skills as a public speaker, you know, Abraham Lincoln give the, gave the Gettysburg Address and right before uh, Whitmore goes, you know, hopping the, the little fighter jet and whoops some tail, he delivers. I'm not going to do the whole speech for time constraint, oh. but you can go look it up. Yeah, I don't have enough time to do it, but you know it. We all know it. And then second, too, um, with Lincoln was how Lincoln wanted to unify the people. And he and Whitmore kind of talks a little bit, too, in his speech about that. He said, we need to put aside our petty differences and unite as one, you know, to fight this evil force. So I kind of saw some similarities there. Second would be with Teddy Roosevelt um, for a couple of things. First, you know, uh, Mr. Roosevelt, you know, his, uh, his involvement with the Rough Riders, you know, 
being out there full force, you know, let's go out there and whoop some tail. That kind of reminded me of uh, Thomas Whitmore in, in that sense. And number two, um, with uh, President Roosevelt, he was he was also a widow. You know, his wife died two days after giving birth to their only child. So there was kind of some similarities there between um, him, uh, Roosevelt being a widow and Whitmore being a widow. And finally, real quick, number three is uh, FDR. A um, couple reasons there too. Um, number one is uh, Pearl Harbor. Um, being attacked on Pearl Harbor, you know, was unexpected, uh, even though tensions were high. It's kind of the same way with this. You know, tensions were high, but still um, everything getting blown up was kind of kind of a shock and unexpected. And then after that, the uh, the immediate call to war, you know, this the the decisiveness, you know, we're doing this. That's kind of how uh, Thomas Whitmore, too. He's like, OK, we're going to war, you know, real decisive. So those three, Lincoln, Roosevelt and FDR is who I thought he looked uh, a lot like, a lot of similarities they shared there. Good choices, Bennett. Good choices. I don't have any questions for y'all. So we're going to go straight into closing arguments, and we're going to start off with Bennett. Bennett, yeah, um, why, is it, why is it Thomas J. Whitmore? I mean, as far as fictional presidents go, uh, Thomas J. Whitmore makes a strong case to be the greatest to ever do it. You know, we talk about first – he was an American hero. You know, he served in the military. He was in the Air Force. He was a as a pilot, Gulf War. Then he goes to uh, pursue a career that lands him all the way into the White House. You know, sure, he wasn't perfect. He had his failures just like every other president that we've ever had. But, you know, he still um, overcomes these things, overcomes these failures. Um, what I think really makes him stand out above the rest is when we were faced with this uh, threat of global destruction by alien life form, like I said, the type of which that we've never really seen before. He didn't back down. He didn't, you know, tuck tail and, and run. He delivered, you know, that great speech, like I've pounded into your brain the whole time. And he literally, not just there. figuratively or verbally led the attack, he literally Francis leads the attack on the enemy by jumping into like a fighter jet to assist say, but not only America, but the human race. Pretty incredible. I don't know about all these what else you would be that, that looking for. Has. And, and a if fictional we are ever under attack when by fear aliens, or adversity or anything like that is going to threaten our great nation, no doubt I want Thomas J. Whitmore be the top of that president could be coming. of um, our country. I still would but prefer to have the murder of Oprah Whitmore is going to be a vote courage, right now. charisma, um, leadership, but if you want to talk about patriotism, believability, you want to talk about someone that could about, actually, yeah, things that could actually happen Hello, in boys, today's I'm environment. Back. No <laughs> fictional president has ever right. embodied that more than Francis J. Why Underwood. Was he a good guy? Francis no. J. Underwood did he do terrible things Thomas to get to where he wanted to be? Yes, but he did what he had to do 
for what he thought was best. Now, the, what he think was best benefit him over a country or constituents? Absolutely. But he still did what he wanted, to, what he had to do to achieve his goals. One of his, he had, he's known for, for breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to the viewer. And he, he had a lot of quotes in that that really describe who he is. But I think the one that says the road to power is paved with hypocrisy and casualties, never regret. That embodies who Francis Underwood was uh, above all else. And I do say it in the past tense, even though it is a fictional character, because these stupid people killed him off uh, before the last season and wanted us to believe that he was poisoned by Doug Stamper, which I know and you know and everybody that watches shows knows would never happen because Doug Stamper was the most loyal human being to ever grace the face of the earth. But Frank Underwood is the most likely the most believable and really lived up to another one of his quotes. If you don't like how the table is set, turn over the table. And that's exactly what he did. That's how he went from a state Senator at the age of 25 to the president of the United States without a single vote cast for him. That's why Francis J Underwood is the greatest fictional president of all time. Because Claire Underwood would have never been vice president if it wasn't for Frank Underwood. Um, she would have been out cohorting with photographers like she was known to do. Um, you, you can say that, it's but tough, everything she did, this is yeah, be she became president. Better hero. Without a I think we, we all three either. can agree. Guess what? It's Whitmore. She's not in Better that VP hero. role if it's the, not for him. She's not involved in politics at all if it's not Whitmore. for him. Some people might say um, Francis Underwood, but most so people are going to say Whitmore. Everything she got this is by tough. hook or by now, crook right, let me, was I because of him. By what hook do you or say to the people that, yeah. that say, you know, Frank Underwood wasn't even the, the more cunning and best politician in his own family? What do you say that Claire Underwood actually won with his death? Well, let's say that he didn't die. He has to resign. She becomes president. So what do you have to say to those people that said Claire Underwood's even better than Frank? He's not in the best Underwood.
mostly back. The way I look at this is this. I love Whitmore. But those well, aside from Frank Underwood, the quotes that you get from him. The, the folks this, of Gaffney, I, I saw a uh, thing appreciate earlier your vote of confidence. that talked about House of Cards and how it how everything is portrayed in the show. And one of the writers, I believe it's for the Atlantic, said that I didn't convince you. House of Cards Frank Underwood just convinced. grazes and in this the state, surface of what it really is sure like. It says it does it, it's not but I'm gonna it's say twenty twenty four. Like Frank you think of it portrays it impressed. correctly and how because violent it is. Know but it just, it's the him. surface. And it gets even deeper than that. So, so all right, guys and gals, we do appreciate this, you joining us for episode president. 40. Uh, better hero me, crowds that would be, be back more, next but a more realistic with a fascinating topic that, that we're not 100% sure Underwood. what it is yet uh, we have a rough Frank. idea Sorry, but man. I'm sure it'll be something good uh, that's my boy though I will say it's good. more likely going to be sports related for the next two hey, weeks I'll, so I'll remember that like that make sure you're here for those of you who don't like that I'll get Will Smith Will Smith anyway He's the real hero in that movie. Don't, don't, don't come calling with more. We'll get back to episodes you like. We still need you to support us on topics you don't care about. Uh, but either way, uh, gentlemen, any parting words? So, right, you have convinced me and the people of this country that Frank. Fair That's enough. Right. Oh man! All right, guys. But yep. <laughs> oh man all right guys well thanks for joining us Frank we'll Underwood be back quote, next week we it. hope you will too <laughs> and until it then works. for mr bennett for mr in Ron, order to get, in in get from a no to a yes you've got to have a maybe in between <laughs> Great quote. Here we go. I got one thing. This, now this episode is going to be one of my favorites. And I'll tell you why. Because when I was uh, preparing my argument, I said, I'm not going to do any kind of Forrest Gump related quote. I'm not. I'm not going to relate anything to Forrest Gump. This is going to be one of the, this is going to be a first. And then Rut comes through with two. We are in good partnership. <laughs> so for that sole reason alone, I thought we were going to be without Forrest and mm. then Rut saves the day. So this was an unexpected. Love it. Love it. <laughs>